we are one minute past the hour. Thanks for joining everybody. Appreciate your presence as always. I don't have uh, additional announcements. Uh, so without further ado, Robert is ready to get us into Axe. Right. Okay. Let's start with the recording. I am going to click play and let me know if you can't hear it or if you want me to adjust the volume. Here we go. No, I'm actually not hearing it. Oh, no. You might have to share your audio. Oh, no. Uh, okay. My soundboard was supposed to do that, but I suppose let me just share my audio. We will do it that way. We should have tested this before. Ah, that's my fault. That. Uh, okay. Sharing computer audio. Okay. Let me try it again. I wrote the former account, Theophilus, yeah. about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. To the same apostles also, after his suffering, he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. He was seen by them over a forty-day period and spoke about matters concerning the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he declared, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait there for what my father promised, which you heard about from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had gathered together, they began to ask him, Lord, is this the time when you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He told them, You are not permitted to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the farthest parts of the earth. After he had said this, while they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud hid him from their sight. As they were still staring into the sky while he was going, suddenly two men in white clothing stood near them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered Jerusalem, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas son of James were there. All these continued together in prayer with one mind, together with the women, along with Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a gathering of about 120 people, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit foretold through David concerning Judas, who became the guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted as one of us and received a share in this ministry. Now this man Judas acquired a field with the reward of his unjust deed, and falling headfirst, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. This became known to all who lived in Jerusalem, so that in their own language they called that field Hakeldama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his house become deserted, and let there be no one to live in it, and let another take his position of responsibility. Thus, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus associated with us, beginning from his baptism by John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness of his resurrection together with us. So they proposed two candidates, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also called Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to assume the task of this service and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Then they cast lots for them, and the one chosen was Matthias, so he was counted with the eleven apostles. Acts 1, New English Translation. There we go. That's my friend with like the greatest reading voice of all time. Uh, so finally, we are into Acts. I will try to cover one chapter per session. I will try, but you know, we, we shall see. Um, okay. The book opens with a literary preface that is really just two verses dedicating the book. And then you could technically extend the introduction of the book through like verse 11 or 14 or into chapter two. I'm not going to go into that discussion. I don't really care what part of the book you want to call an introduction. I really want to jump uh, headfirst into uh, the more important stuff. Now, uh, 
I think I said this last time, but, but the reason you might dedicate the book to somebody is either because that person is your patron, so is the one essentially supporting you financially while you do this, or perhaps this is just a person of high stature in, in society. And that person um, of high society may throw parties or put together other events. And you hope as an author that if you dedicate the book to them, they will have it read at those events. So it increases your exposure by doing this. Well, um, the book opens with a huge event in the life of the early church. And that is essentially a transition of leadership because in the Gospels, of course, we read about Jesus. He is the leader of the movement. But in Acts, uh, right in the second verse, we get to this idea that Jesus is gone. And now it is the apostles who are going to, you know, inherit the baton, so to speak. This might seem really obvious to us because we are so used to the story. But I think it is important that we at least make note of it because we could at least imagine other possibilities, right? We could imagine a possibility in which Jesus is gone and now every believer has equal vote and is considered to have equal insight into the faith. That is certainly not the case when Jesus departs or when he ascends, if I'm being a little bit more technical. Uh, there is this group of apostles who become the leaders, who have been chosen to be the leaders. Now, I want to say this just as a disclaimer. When I mention this, I am not making or opposing any kind of argument that would um, that would act as a corollary of this idea, like uh, you know the idea of the magisterium or apostolic succession, that effectively would continue this authority from the apostles for either a while or all the way to present age. Like I said, I'm neither supporting nor opposing that. That is a discussion you guys can bring up if you would like. Um, so we have this transition of leadership. We are going to see later in the book a similar transition, not identical, but similar, in which a new guy will come in, Paul, and he will be the leader of the mission to the Gentiles. Now, um, there is, this is kind of a side note, but I, I do want to add it briefly. If you notice in the opening of the book, it says that what the apostles are doing, it, it comes after what Jesus began to do and teach. The word began uh, is debated a little bit in the sense that it, it could just be what's called a Semitic pleonasm, um, essentially a Semitic way of speaking. And if that is the case, then the word does not really have any significance. It does not mean that the apostles, that the acts of the apostles are a continuation of the acts of Jesus. Um, or you could take it more seriously, more literally, I suppose, if you want to say that. And that means then that the church is, is almost literally a continuation of, of Jesus and his work. Honestly, the first explanation is the more likely one. We do find that expression in the Septuagint, which remember those are the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Um, but if you pick the latter possibility, certainly it is in line actually with the theology presented by Luke, both in his gospel and in Acts. So there you go, a little bit of a, um, you know, of a linguistic issue. Okay. Then what the chapter does is it is um, retelling the end of volume one. By volume one, of course, I am, I am speaking of the Gospel of Luke. So the two books are intricately connected. They are meant to be read one after the other. And so I am going to go through a little bit of a correspondence between Acts 1 and Luke chapter 24, because if nothing else, it's a reminder of what we read in John. The, the ending of John, of course, is very similar to the ending of Luke. Uh, you don't find all of the same material, but you do find a lot of the same. So, great, this is a reminder. Or if you didn't join in for the, for the study of John, then this will get you right up to speed, and we can study Acts together. Uh, notice that in Acts, it tells us that Jesus teaches the disciples through the Spirit. 
uh, Luke 24 has um, several instances in which Jesus is teaching the disciples. And this would come after the death of Jesus and his resurrection. Um, I'll just read one verse, but you can look at more verses in the blog if you're interested. Uh, this is Luke 24, 32. They said to each other, these are some of the followers of Jesus speaking, didn't our hearts burn within us while he was speaking with us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Okay, so Jesus died, resurrected, and then there was a time in which Jesus continued to teach to his disciples. Then Acts 1 also tells us that um, Jesus offered many proofs of his risen state. Uh, we read this in John. Of course, it is also in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, you know, uh, he appears among them. For example, I'll read out of 24 verses 36, 39. While they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood, stood sorry, among them and said to them, Peace be with you. But they were startled and terrified, thinking they saw a ghost. Then he said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. Right? Again, we talked about this when we studied John. Jesus appeared to them and proved to them that it was him in the flesh. And that last race in the flesh is, in fact, quite important. It's not just some like spiritual resurrection. Then Acts tells us that Jesus appeared for 40 days. Actually, the, the number 40 is not in the Gospel of Luke, um, but in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 24, lots of things happen, so certainly it involves many days. It just doesn't explicitly say 40, but they're very consistent in that regard. Acts 1 tells us that Jesus speaks of the kingdom, right? So Acts opens by talking about the kingdom. Uh, in Luke 24, the kingdom is not explicitly mentioned, but we can infer that Jesus would have spoken about that because Jesus speaks a lot about the kingdom in the Gospel of Luke. Um, and we today, we're actually going to talk about the kingdom a fair amount. So more on that here in a second. Um, Acts reminds us that Jesus orders them not to leave Jerusalem, right? So Jesus tells them, hey, you need to essentially hang back until you receive power through the Spirit. We find this explicitly in chapter 24 of Luke. I'll, I'll read the verse because this will apply to several of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Okay. So the same promise that we find in Acts 1 um, is what we read in Luke 24. Uh, so Jesus instructs them to wait for the father's promise. Um, you know, it's, it's related to that. The disciples expect the kingdom's restoration to Israel. Okay, we actually find this both in Acts 1 and in Luke 24. Uh, let me read the verse out of Luke 24. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Not only this, but it is now the third day since these things happened. Right. So, of course, this verse in Luke is, is when Jesus was dead and have not appeared to these people, and they're saying, man, we put our hopes on him. You know, we thought he was going to redeem Israel, bring it back, bring the, you know, bring the kingdom back, and he failed. Of course, then um, Jesus comes back, and their opinion changes. But notice that this idea of the kingdom has been the concern of the disciples throughout. That's what they hoped Jesus would do, and in Acts, right away, we find out that is now what the apostles are going to do. Um, Jesus promises the Spirit in that they will witness. We again find this explicitly in Luke uh, chapter 24. Uh, I'll read from it. You are witnesses of these things in Luke. I am sending you what my Father promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Um, in both places, we find that they will receive power. And then finally, the ascension is attested to both in Luke and at the beginning of Acts. Okay. So, uh, and there's a couple of other things I listed. Um, but the point is, we get it, right? Like, Acts 1 is starting straight up with a summary of the end of Luke. These books are connected. And um, it, it highlights 
kind of some of the important things that happened, right? Like Jesus died, came back, ascended in that time, taught the disciples, told them about the kingdom, and promised them the Holy Spirit who would give them power and would guide them in their new mission that related to the kingdom. Okay. Now, I want to spend some time, maybe the the perhaps the majority of the time today, talking about this idea of the kingdom, because it will it will be central to the book of Acts. But the the book of Acts kind of assumes that you've read the Gospel of Luke, and it is really in the Gospel of Luke where we find most of the discussion about the kingdom. So I do think that we need to go into Acts with this background, right? Um, what do we mean by the kingdom? You know, is it a future thing? Is it a present thing? The kingdom of God really is a bit mysterious, but it's really, really important. And I think that Christians today uh, sadly don't speak about it anymore. Um, you know, when is the last time that at a church instead of hearing about salvation, you heard about the kingdom of God. Now, perhaps, you know, you are in a tradition that does emphasize that. Um, but I, I think it's fair to say that for the most part, we don't speak about this as much as we should. Now, what do we find um, in the gospel of Luke? Actually, let me read one thing real quick, and then we're going to go through some of the verses. This idea of the kingdom, this is how a scholar, you know, explains it. And I think this will work as a great introduction. Um, and I'm reading here from Craig Keener. The Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek terms here translated kingdom usually signify the concept reign or authority or rule. Like the Old Testament, for example, Isaiah 6, 5, Jewish teachers could speak of God's present rule, especially among the people who obeyed his law. But Jewish people also looked for the kingdom of also looked for the kingdom as God's future rule when God would reign unchallenged. Okay, so keep in mind that difference that we can speak of the kingdom is already applying to whoever willingly obeys God, but there's also a sense in which the kingdom will come unchallenged when God will reign and there will be no, you know, no dissenters anymore. Um, I'll continue reading because heaven was a common Jewish. Uh, paraphrases for God, some other Jewish texts use kingdom of heaven as a paraphrases for kingdom of God. Um, okay. If one examines the entire evidence available in the Gospels, the kingdom appears to be both present and future, as is widely recognized today. It was only natural for Jesus and his first followers, once they recognized that Jesus would need to come again to establish his kingdom fully, to recognize that the anticipated kingdom would arrive in two stages, corresponding to Jesus' first and second coming. If one does not arbitrarily exclude either set of evidence by posing a contradiction that the first generations of disciples would not have recognized, both sets of evidence fit together adequately. If Jesus implied his messiahship and spoke of a future son of man, we may thus assume that when he announced the kingdom, he undoubtedly announced God's imminent rule in the final sense, rather than simply God's providential rule over creation or over Israel through the law. But his claim also suggests that he expected to play a role in the kingdom, already active in a hidden way in the present. Okay, So I, I love that, that paragraph by Craig Keener because he says, look, you don't, there's really no contradiction here. The people at the time would not have thought that this was contradictory in any way. It is really just scholars today who tried to be very difficult about it. But yes, we find data in the Bible. By data, I mean verses. We, we find verses in the Bible that speak of the kingdom as being present. And then we read of some that speak of the kingdom as being future. That makes sense. The kingdom is here now, but it's not fully here. It is growing. And one day, however, it will come fully, right? And that's, you know, when you think about the final judgment and all of that stuff, which we won't get to, to that today. But let's, I, I think we need to ask ourselves, okay, when Jesus says, hey, go spread the news of the kingdom, what, what is he thinking? Well, let's read a little bit of Luke. 
here are some verses. Actually, I think I pulled every verse about the kingdom from Luke. We don't have to read them all, but I do want to give you a sense of it. Um, okay, Luke chapter 4. The next morning, Jesus departed and went to a deserted place. Yet the crowds were seeking him, and they came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But Jesus said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns too, for that is what I was sent to do. Okay. Notice how central the kingdom is. Jesus came to spread the good news about the kingdom. Okay, this is not some detail. This is, you know, this is not something that we can ignore. Uh, now, Luke uh, chapter 6. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God belongs to you. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and insult you and reject you as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and jump for joy because your reward is great in heaven. For their ancestors did the same things to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort already. Woe to you who are well satisfied with food now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for their ancestors did the same things to the false prophets. But I say to you who are listening, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Okay. Notice here, to whom is the kingdom promised? You could just take the first verse and say, well, it is promised uh, to those who are poor, uh, which in the other gospels, it is. It reads poor in spirit or poor of spirit. But, you know, what do we have here? We, we have people who are following Jesus at great cost, right? They are poor. They're insulted. Uh, they're going hungry. And then there's people who are not following Jesus, but who are very comfortable. They're powerful. They're, they are powerful. They're wealthy. They have, you know, food on the table, they're well regarded. And what will the kingdom involve, if nothing else, because I think we could spend an hour just on this passage, there will be vindication. There will be justice, right? There, there will be reward. Um, I, I'm going to say more about this later, but I fear that um, many people, Christians included, think of the Christian faith as something completely altruistic, like there's, you know, there, oh, there's nothing really that I want. There's nothing that I'm trying to get out of this. And I understand why. You know, it's out of piety. I, I don't want to sound overly harsh. But if we're really being honest, isn't, isn't there something that we want to get out of this? It's just not the normal things, right? It's not reputation now or money now or whatever. But eventually... We do want vindication, right? We, if, if we suffered to do good, uh, we want that to, to be set right. And eventually we want um, all things to be set right, to be no more pain, right? Um, to be no more injustice. We do want something out of this. We want the kingdom. We want a perfect place where there's vindication and justice. Um, then... Next verse I'm going to read is out of Luke 7. And this is when Jesus is speaking about John the Baptist. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John the Baptist. That's not in the text, but I'm just giving you context. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Okay, So the least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than, than the greatest person on the planet today. Right? Again, that gives you an image of the kingdom of how wonderful it will be and how it's really worth everything. Anything you have to endure in this life is worth it if you can make it into the kingdom. Um, I will, I'll probably read one more verse. Um, and then, like I said, I, it, it took me like an hour to do. <laughs> I pulled every verse out of Luke. But uh, yeah, let me, let me read up uh, or let me read one more. Um, but I know which one I want to pick. Um, the one about 
children. Okay. Now, uh, this is out of Luke chapter 18. Now, people were even bringing their babies to him for him to touch. But when the disciples saw it, they began to scold those who brought them. But Jesus called for the children, saying, Let the little children come to me, and do not try to stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Now a certain leader asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In this context, right, you could say, What must I do to enter the kingdom? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I have wholeheartedly obeyed all these laws since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was extremely wealthy. When Jesus noticed this, he said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Then who can be saved? He replied, What is impossible for mere humans is possible for God. And Peter said, Look, we have left everything we own to follow you. Then Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, there's no one who has left home or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of God's kingdom who will receive, uh, who will not receive many times more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Now, this passage, of course, it deals with money, but it's, it's really not about money in the sense that the most repeated uh, saying of Jesus was whoever gives up whoever whoever gives up their life will find it. Now in this case, what what that young man had was lots of money. And so essentially Jesus challenges him, would you give up everything to enter the kingdom? And the response is no, I wouldn't. And then Jesus makes the point, whatever like whoever does make that sacrifice, whoever is willing to say, Lord, your will be done, not mine whatever that will is, whatever it is at that cost, they will receive a reward. The kingdom is real. Our hope is real. It's not some just vaguely spiritual hope. Um, now, I... Let me see... Ah, let me read one more, um, and then we will discuss other things, because this is important. This is out of Luke chapter 13. Thus, Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? To what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the wild birds nested in its branches. Again, he said, to what should I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all the dough had risen. Okay. So notice that last one tells us about how the kingdom of God will spread. It's like a mustard seed, which in one of the other Gospels is described as the smallest of the seeds in the garden, right? So it is something very small. Or think of a tiny amount of yeast in a bunch of dough. Um, you, could, you could add, I mean, just a pinch of, of leaven of yeast, and it will go through the dough in time. So the kingdom is spreading, and it will start small, but it will grow very, very large. Now, this has to do with our eschatology, right? With how we see the history of humanity. Um, the way that Jesus describes this, the church will expand and expand and expand. And eventually, the kingdom of God will come fully realized. And that kingdom of God will have vindication, and it will have food for the hungry, and it will have justice for those who have been abused, it will be worth every sacrifice that anyone has ever made for it. But what does it take to enter it? Everything, right? To say, Lord, your will be done. Um, there, there is no other way. So that is the idea of the kingdom of heaven, and we are going to encounter this. Now, notice that the kingdom of God is supposed to be good news, right? We're supposed to be spreading this and and. So it, I think it's important that we understand that, that we understand that it is good, that it's something we look forward to, something we want out of this deal. And I know that that's putting it a little bit in an ugly way, but 
I'd rather say it that way than not to say it at all. Okay. Now, another thing that, that is immediately obvious at the opening of Acts that we need to highlight is this idea of the Spirit, right? That the Spirit is coming. And I know that that will be the topic of next week, you know, in chapter 2. We're going to talk a lot about the Spirit. But before we even discuss that, let's try to maybe connect the idea of the Spirit to the Kingdom, to what is happening here. Well, I don't think that we make the connection that in the Old Testament, the Spirit is connected to the coming of the Kingdom in the restoration of Israel. Okay? The, probably the best place to find this idea in a, in a rather concise way is in Isaiah chapters, the end of chapter 43, the beginning of chapter 44. Now, this appears in many places, but I always try to pick, you know, kind of the easiest one so we can read it in the time that we have. Um, and essentially, at the end of chapter 43, the Lord rebukes his people. That is the title of that little section. And the Lord is saying, essentially, you have disobeyed and I am going to destroy you. And if you think I'm putting it harshly, go read the passage. Uh, it's pretty accurate. But right after that, right, at the beginning of chapter 44, God says, but it won't be forever. I will restore you, right? And so I'm going to read those verses. Again, keep in mind, this is immediately after the verses that are saying, I'm going to wreck you. I'm going to literally, so I defiled your holy princes and handed Jacob over to destruction and subjected Israel to humiliating abuse. Okay, that's God talking. And then comes this. Now listen, Jacob, my servant, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord, the one who made you says, the one who formed you in the womb and helps you. Don't be afraid, my servant, Jacob. Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the parched ground and cause streams to flow in the dry land. I will pour my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your children. They will sprout up like a tree in the grass, like poplars beside channels of water. One will say, I belong to the Lord, and another will use the name Jacob. One will write on his hand, the Lord's, and use the name Israel. Okay. The pouring of the spirit is the initial event to the restoration of Israel. And notice that this pouring of the Spirit is going to everyone. We're going to read more about this, of course, in the rest of Acts. But the restoration of Israel is, is the church. And I, I know that if you hold to certain eschatologies, that statement might seem a little edgy. Um, but I think it's pretty unmistakable in Acts. Um, so, yeah, this is the the... Beginning of Acts is literally all of the pieces falling into place saying Israel will be restored starting now. And by Israel, I don't mean a political nation. I'm not trying to get into the news of the day or whatever. I'm really not. But I just don't want to be misunderstood. Um, okay, so I think this is probably the, the last thing I'll be able to discuss today, and I'll open it up for questions. I've got more to go through, but We'll talk about it next time because these are such important topics. Well, uh, like I said, the pouring of the Spirit is, is intricately, intricately connected to the restoring of, of the kingdom of God of Israel, actually, and the coming of this eschatological kingdom. Um, now, the Spirit is also the foretaste of the kingdom and the thing that empowers the empowers people to to help in the bringing upon of the kingdom so we should notice here a few things number 1 because the spirit is required for the coming of the kingdom the coming of the kingdom is dependent on god Notice that disciples are not able to just like generate spiritual power. It's not in them, right? It is something that comes from God. And this is so different to other religions. That's why I, I point it out, even if it seems obvious to us. It's like, no, we're not just going to like look inside and find this enlightenment. No, it is through God's empowering that this will happen. Um, then... Let me see what, what I wrote here. I want to make sure I'm, 
I'm not going off track. Um, oh, and the, the, this promise of the Spirit, it, it involves special empowerment for, say, the apostles, but it's also promised to every believer. We're going to read this in Acts chapter 2, so next week or perhaps the week after at the latest. But let me read this verse. Peter said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So this promise of the Spirit is for every believer. Perhaps this, this promise of, of, of power of being able to do miracles and the such is for a select few. And if you belong to certain Christian traditions, you may think that that is for everyone. And I, I respect that. But at least what we see in Acts is not everyone receives this spectacular empowerment, but certainly everyone receives the Holy Spirit. That's, that's kind of the pattern we are going to run into. Now, notice that this coming of the Spirit is the fulfillment of what John the Baptist said. And I actually quoted from the Gospel of John in the blog, I know that the standard thing to do would be to quote from the Gospel of Luke. But since we studied John, look how all of this connects. Um, I, I won't read the whole passage. It's rather lengthy. But when John is pressed, hey, who are you? Are you the prophet? Are you the Christ? And all this stuff. He, he keeps saying, no, no, no. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. Finally, John testifies about Jesus. Then John testified, I saw the Spirit descending like a dove from heaven, and it remained on him. And I did not recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, The one in whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have both seen and testified that this man is the chosen one of God. Right? This is it. This is what this is part of what Jesus came to do. This is what was prophesied in the Gospels, and it is finally being fulfilled. So it's so neat to read this after we read the, the Gospel of John. Okay, um, And actually, I suppose I can stop there. We can open this up to discussion. And then if there are no questions, there's more material that I can go through. So I'll turn it over to you, Matt. Sure. Uh, as sure. always, uh, if as you always, would... if... Now I can hear myself back, though. Well, at least for a oh. second I did. But now let me gone. stop sharing my sound yeah, and I bet that. that's it. Uh, but as always, guys, if you'd like to ask a question or offer a thought for discussion, just write the word question in the chat and I'll bring it in in the order in which we receive those requests. Um, as far as my own thoughts, uh, can you talk to me a little bit more about the, the difference or am I correct in understanding that there is a difference between salvation and the kingdom of God? Because uh, yeah. Colloquially, I would have just thought those are the same thing. Like, what is salvation but for entry into the kingdom of God? What's the difference? Yeah, uh, I mean, they're, they're, of course, connected, but they're not identical. And by the way, I don't know how to stop sharing my sound. So if you, if somebody... I haven't heard myself how... back, so it's probably fine. But I think it's under the, okay. the screen sharing setting somewhere. Okay. Yeah, I tried and there's not like a stop sharing. But okay, we'll move on. If it becomes a problem, we'll we'll take that. Well, they're connected, but they're not identical, right? Because we, for example, we could imagine a scenario where people um are saved in 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 like a merely spiritual sense, like people are cleansed of their sin and they become saints, they they become people who are perfectly good. Okay, so and I do believe actually that all those things happen, but that but will will injustice go unpunished? Will there be a world that we look forward to where there will be no more injustice? So essentially there is um there is a personal dimension, salvation, but there's also you know this this thing that is beyond personal, that is a kingdom, that is a place where we're all going to be and where God is going to rule and where they will be, for example, vindication, like all things will be known. The people, if you know, if you were abused, if people lied about you, that will be set straight, that it will be known that you did not do those things, that you had good intentions, right? So th those kind of external things 
are better expressed by the idea of the kingdom, or perhaps the more internal things would be expressed by the idea of salvation. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I've, they are very, they're overlapping concepts, but they might yeah. not be. One, I guess, is more of a, yeah, a place with external implications beyond just you. One, salvation would be more of like uh, your own, something that applies to you personally, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that that's fair. I mean, okay. yeah, I think that's fair. All right. Uh, perhaps that'll come up a little bit more as we discuss uh, the rest of Acts or in other people's thoughts. But I want to make sure that others have time to offer their points for discussion. So Gilgamesh, uh, go right ahead if you're ready. Uh, or oh, there Yeah, you can hear me. Okay. Yeah. You're, here's, you know, I heard people say this about, you know, Jesus, would he be considered a socialist? Actually, he would. He, like you said, Robert, he told, in order to get king, give your wealth to the poor. He always believed in taking care of those, like, less fortunate, you know, give your abundance to other people. You know, if you can take care of yourself, take care of other people. It's like feed a man, feed a man, he can feed himself once, teach man a fish, he can take care, feed himself, and then share that abundance with others. And, you know, the whole thing with, you know, they say those who suffer are the ones who can truly hear God. You know, I can vouch for that because, you know, I've suffered enough in life to go, geez, yeah, I go through my life and you go, oh, my God, how are you alive? But, you know, that's for another thing. But, yeah, it's this whole idea that, you know, Jesus was he he believed in, you know, take take care of, you know, everyone. Don't just take care of yourself, share your wealth, you know. And so when people say, oh, he would not be, actually, he would be considered, if he were alive today, he'd be teaching socialism, you know, take care of the less fortunate, bring them up. Because once you bring the less fortunate up, everybody benefits from that. And that's why you see like places like Japan do so well. It can, you know, in their, because they look out for everyone and they don't forget people. It's like, you know, when you look at, okay, the Jews and the Palestinians, they're both Semites. They're, you know, that's the whole thing. They're, you know, when, when we hear the word Semite, you know, oh, you said, you know, and I'm not going to get into that, what's going on over there. It's like the, you know, like you said, the, you know, Jerusalem. It's like, okay, we're, Pal we're you know, like Israel, Palestine, it's all part of the same thing for thousand years the palestinians there are palestinian jews there's muslims and there's christians like one of the oldest churches was in gaza that just got obliterated like the old one of like thousand year old christian church and there are christian jews muslims you know so that that's why they live together you know you can find jews living in iran and christians mm -hmm. and it's like they've lived together for thousand years and then you know sure like i said um, okay, Robert, did you have any thoughts on any uh, any of that? Yeah, so I'm going to push back a little bit on okay. the idea that Jesus would be a, a socialist, but I I see your point. My, my one disagreement there is that in not only with Jesus, but in the New Testament, we really don't see a call to enforce any of this charity, or for that matter, really just about any of our religious beliefs through government, right? The idea oh, no, is no. that we... Um, and so, but I, I do think that socialism involves coercion, and we, I don't think that we see that in the New Testament. Now, would Jesus strongly advocate for charity? Yes. A hundred percent. That's what I mean by, I'm not talking about like for the government forcing, you know, everything. I'm, I'm talking about like, when I think of socialism is that people should take care of people down, bring them up. I'm not saying the government should like forcefully do it to people like force them to take care of, but people should be willing to take care of those people that are homeless. You know, that's when I, what I mean by socialism is to be social with other people. That's what I think yeah, Jesus well, was pushing. Not the whole government is responsible to take, you know, like force I mean, that, that on everyone. That does sound like charity to me rather than, yeah. than what socialism is. Well, when we think of so socialism, the way that, it, you know, but if you look at, like the idea of social, like people. I guess what I'm saying socially, is if I, if my neighbor's yeah. having a hard time and I give him a little bit of money to help him out, that's not socialism. That's me well, voluntarily that's, helping him. Yeah. 
But you can also say that, you know, to be social with each other is, you know, the idea of socialism. It's not the government should be forcing, you know, but it's the idea that people should take care of each other. That's I mean, I have, to, I have to disagree on that point, but well, we're, we're getting into semantics the word, here. But. We've twisted words in our society to mean bad things when, you know, you know, but like I said, if you take, get a chance to talk to Blonde, t- reasons she likes Japan, they're a collectivist country. That's why she likes. Uh, I mean, okay. yeah, that's fine. We're talking modern politics now. We got to. Oh, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking but, modern politics. I was that's exactly what we're talking about. Right. Thank you for. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thanks. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. Um. All right. Thank you. Next up is generally specific. Go ahead. Hi. Is the volume okay? Yes, sir. Loud and clear. All right. Awesome. Um. Yeah. Sorry, I missed the first three or four. <laughs> really sorry. Um, God's going to work on me on that. Let my yeses be yeses and my noes be noes. Um, so I had a couple, I had, I had one question about in the, in the intro, you were talking about let his house be deserted. And I'm trying to find exactly where that was because I did a little Bible study on Isaiah five, where it talked about a lot of empty houses that were like beautiful and bright, but they were empty. There was, and there was like all these houses together, but there's only one place to get a bath. And I don't know if that's baptismal. Um, but I was just curious about, there seems to be a theme about deserted homes, like a lot of churches that have no life in them. There's lots of church buildings, but there's no life in that church, um, all throughout the world, especially in America. My question is, and if you can briefly touch on that, that'd be great. Um, if not, then we can, we can move on. Uh, my actual question is, uh, did even the disciples hold out, um, a hope or a thought in their heads of that? Well, I mean, I'm asking you to speak for disciples, but if you could pontificate on it i guess uh, a thought uh, that their messiah was to conquer because i know most of the jewish people thought that he was going to come as a conqueror right and to put all enemies under israel's foot israel's foot not jesus's foot now the the average israeli thought that they were going to the messiah was going to conquer and everyone was going to be subservient to israel for instance did they not truly hear what he told him over and over again, his purpose was uh, the remission of sins and that he needed to go in order so that the comforter may come, i.e. the Holy Spirit. Um, so, and I'll finish with this. Uh, Jesus has already secured the keys of death. He went to hell during the, after his death, secured that and, uh, and has put all enemies under his feet, you know, i.e. the enemies are his footstool. So technically he's already won. Everything is submitted and none of us should be fearing any evil because we just speak Jesus over it. Your thoughts on that? Let me mute. Yeah. um, My thoughts on that would be that it it seems pretty clear in the gospels that the apostles do misunderstand Jesus all throughout. I mean, all the way to the end of the gospels, you see the misunderstanding. Um, But I, I do want to kind of balance that with something I, I put in the blog that I didn't end up mentioning, but you know, at the beginning of Acts, we run into this again, right? The apostles say, hey, is this when you're going to establish the kingdom? It's like the first thing to come up in Acts. And notice that the the response from Jesus is about timing. It's, Jesus doesn't say essentially, no, I'm not going to establish the kingdom. It's just, it's not for you to know the timing. And and so the apostles, and, and I'm not saying that you believe this by any stretch or, or whatever, but the apostles didn't, their mistake was not this connection to the kingdom. Um, their problem was what they thought the kingdom was and when it would come. And so it's like, they were only like, you know, they were a third right. Let me put it that way. They were like two thirds wrong and a third right. And eventually in Acts particularly, they understand it, right? At this point, they're willing to suffer. They're no longer trying to conquer and they're trying to spread the kingdom, which is the good news that... Um, their salvation and vindication will come and, and so forth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I do think they misunderstood, but eventually they got it straight. Um, and and as far as, you know, being this idea of houses being deserted and all that, that's actually in Acts and it is quoting Psalms. Uh, and I mean, I don't want to make too much of a connection, but, and I'm sure, by the way, it must appear in Isaiah as well. I It, it must. But I don't want to make too much of a connection, but yeah, it does seem like there's, if nothing else, a poetic justice that when churches stray away from the gospel, 
they tend to end up deserted. It is actually statistically true that it is the more liberal churches that are disappearing and the conservative churches are pretty much holding their membership. But again, that's just an aside. Yeah, go ahead if you have a follow thought. Jonathan. Yeah, just um, I've got a request and uh, I'm kind of begging and I'll respect the, uh, the, the, the room and the moderation of it. Um, I just recently started kind of like a, um, a YouTube channel that, you know, where I'm dealing with the Bible, I'm kind of a young Christian. So I'm doing Bible studies and I appreciate feedback back and forth. And I was wondering if it would be possible for me to, in this room, uh, in text, I could kind of promote my channel and maybe people can kind of support yeah, if they'd I, like to take a look, if you don't have a problem with that. First of all, thanks for asking. I appreciate the courtesy in that. Um, but this is, I think, first and foremost, a community. And so to me, if people, you know, find value in building additional community on top of it, I don't have a problem with that. But I have to, of course, I got to ask Robert about that, too. No, I mean, the more people study the Bible, the better. It's not like, yeah, we're not competing in any way. So yeah, more power to yeah. you. I hope the Lord blesses your ministry. And you, you, you seem like a courteous guy, obviously. So I'm guessing you're probably not going to be obstructively spamming the chat oh. the whole time or something like that. You know, as long as it's not obstructive to what we're doing here, I don't, I don't have a problem with that at all. Yeah, ab absolutely not. Also, uh, I've recently made a sandwich, two sandwich boards. I went and, you know, I'm getting ready to go out and do some street preaching and stuff. Hmm. The God, God told me to do that two and a half, about two years ago. And I, I've been kind of like dragging my feet. So I'm like, yes, Lord. Well, so, I, I, I hope you start in a safe environment. That could be a dangerous business these days, depending on what uh, arena you count, select. Count it all joy, brother. Yeah. Count it all joy. You're doing something right. If, 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 if anyway, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm going to, I'm going to leave the link in, uh, in the chat there. I appreciate okay, cool. it. Man. And um, if people are, we do have people who listen after the fact too. Uh, and they might not, they won't get the chat in that case if they're listening on a podcast or something, but is there a way to, for them to find that material? Um, yeah. If you go to um, the, at, if you go to YouTube and you search in, in the search bar, you type in uh, the at sign mm -hmm. and uh, it's not bread alone and 2023. Not bread along? Alone. Alone. Meaning we're not supposed to survive on, you know, it is written oh, bread. That okay. I'm thinking not like breeding. This is that's bread one like of the temptations eat. that yeah, the yeah. devil, the devil yeah. gave Jesus. Like when he was hungry, 40 days, yeah. 40 nights. And he said, well, if you're truly the son of God, command that stone to become bread. Yeah. And Jesus said, it's written that that man is not to survive on bread alone, but out of every, every word that proceeded yeah. from God's mouth. So it's uh, at not bread alone. 2023. And cool. there'll be like, there'll be like a hand with one of my tomatoes in it. And uh, it, it'll have like a tomato in it. And I'd really appreciate the subscription. And also you have to go to the live because I don't have any like edited videos yet. I'm kind of still learning all that. Stuff, oh, yeah. So. The YouTube formatting. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's its own ordeal. But uh, but cool, I, man. I Good luck it. with the project. And, and thanks for um, contributing to the show. Amen. Thanks for, thanks the, for doing this. I, I always say show by default. This is a study. This is not a show. Brother, but, it's all you, know, you get what I'm saying. Uh, Denby, you're good to go if you're ready. Uh, yeah. Um, just a couple small comments. The first one is I lived in Japan for a long time. And you're right. It is a collective, more collectivist for society. But for exactly that reason, um, they don't have much charity, a sense of charity. Well, if this has a connection to the scripture, I'd like to keep it, but I'd like to avoid just kind of like. No, no, I don't want to get into big politics. Just I lived there for years and it's just, yeah, it's not, not about politics. It's just about the idea. Like they're, they don't have the idea of charity that we do. It's just something I ought, you know, you ought to know. It's like Japan's a great place to visit and everything, but you know, it's not, it's not necessarily what you think it is. Anyway, that just that just wanted to say that because I lived there for a long time and it's mm -hmm. not. Anyway, um, so yeah, just uh, uh, the question, uh, uh, comment about the um, the number thing is that they they've been talking about that quite a bit in um, in that thing on about Exodus that Jordan Peterson's doing with Dennis Prager and all the other people like Oz Guinness. What's the, um, the, remind me of the number thing. What are what are we referring to with that? Oh, like the like the the forty days, that kind of thing. Oh, okay. Like yeah. the, and and they talk about the kind of this the symbol the symbolic, uh, stat status of that kind of number, like it doesn't necessarily mean like literally forty days or that sort of thing. It's just more like a, kind of a way of saying like a long time, 
a long period of time, that kind mm. of thing. Anyway, so the, the, if, you, if anyone's interested, it's a, it's a good good resource for, for, for hearing about that. It, it has some interesting ideas. So uh, now, Robert, my question was about um, specifically the line about casting lots here. Mm. Um, basically, um, the question is, is um, would this be a case where um, they mean uh, leave it leave it to chance, leave it to fate? Or do they really mean that they're asking God to reveal to them by way of doing this? Yeah, so, okay. I will talk more about this next time. I didn't quite make it to that part. I know that we read that part of the scripture, so you're certainly not off base. But I think that there's a little bit of both, or not really to chance, but we will see that they define certain requirements to be an apostle, right? Particularly that they wanted somebody who had experienced Jesus firsthand, who had traveled with Jesus and heard him teach. It, it has to be a firsthand account. And then they found two suitable people who met the criteria. So it was very intentional. In, in that sense, there is no random elements. And then they cast lots, which is like, that quote unquote is random. It would be like using dice or any kind of game of chance, but they pray beforehand uh, saying, you know, Lord, show us, uh, show us who to pick this way. Now, mind you, this comes right before they receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that is going to come next chapter. We never see them use this method again. Presumably after chapter two, they will use a different method, but we have to keep in mind that it's right before that. So, I don't, you know, you could say that there was an element of chance there, but uh, certainly they're holding to strict criteria and then trying to discern God's will and they don't have a better way at the time. They will after chapter two. All right. Does that Thanks, help Frank. or answer at all? Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was just I was just, um, just curious about it because there's an, kind of an interesting conundrum in that, like the idea of... Um, you know, it's sort of like um, kind of speaks, like kind of hints at the idea of divination. Mm. You know, I'm just sort of sort, like, sort of wondering, like it's it, it's like, do we know from the context if they if like this is just uh, they had to choose one of two very good choices and they just had to, you know, basically take a gamble in a way, you know, and then yeah, like they're not going to lose out with whichever person they choose if you see what i mean yeah i so the last kind of quick comment i'll make on this is i don't think that particularly because they never use this method again i don't think that we should take this passage as prescriptive which i'm not saying you're suggesting that by any means no. but they they try to do their homework they pick two qualified people and then they prayed and cast lots they, they just didn't have a better method. and um, But again, they don't do this again, so we probably should not be engaging in this kind of behavior now. All right, thanks, Danby. Uh, we do have, a I think, maybe three more requests to speak, so we might have to do a little bit of a lightning round here. Um, sure. Mine will be quick. I, uh, yeah, is it, I, it, I'm going to guess on the pronunciation. Is it Theophilus? I don't know how to say yeah. it. It's it's Jason, but I yeah, yeah. Th there's another Jason, so I use different names. But uh, I thought well, we were going to talk about who Theophilus was. Is he a real person? Okay. Uh, is it is it is anyway? The point is, thank you for bringing up Craig Keener. It was a good Bible study tonight. He's got a lot of good stuff to say. Uh, Carmen had a comment, and I want to read it real quick. Uh, it's on the chat. She has AOL dial-up, so she's not able to get in on the oh, audio. I remember the uh, days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This I thought this this pertains to the study big time. Um. <clears throat> It's about the kingdom of God. Uh -huh. Let me find that. Uh... <clears throat> All right. It's important not to think of the kingdom as a place. It's an administration, the sovereign administration of God. You can be saved from sin and its consequences, salvation, separation from God. But it's not yet determined if you, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Christian, will have a position in the administration of God. That, that might help with the, the separation between salvation and the kingdom of God. Uh, it's also important, like I said, like I thought it was important she mentioned not to think of it as a place, but yeah. an administration. Um, 
Okay. I all I'm not sure I follow completely, but that does help. I suppose illuminate my question on what the difference is. Robert, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, Robert. Yeah, please I, I mean, um, I think I mean I don't I don't disagree. I, this is going to seem like I'm being very nitpicky, and and I'm sorry if it comes across that way. But I would say, it, yes, it's not a place. It is it is a rule, right? It is it is uh, something that is under the rule of God. But it will eventually be a place, right? Like it will be in a real new heavens and new earth. And, and I just don't want that to be lost in translation. But yes, I agree. Now, let me give this distinction between the kingdom and being saved. The church should be a place that really uh, shows the kingdom to people, the good news of the kingdom, right? The church, like think of your local congregation, should be a place where we show kindness to each other and we show charity to each other and where we try to help the poor and we try to heal the sick. And so ideally, not that this always happens, when people look at the church, they, they should go, wow, like the, the, the way that, that administration, the way they treat one another is amazing. And I want part of that. You know, I want to be part of that kingdom. Um, I don't know if that helps at all, but um, yeah, I'll leave it yeah. there. Thanks, Jason. And uh, thanks, Carmen, for the thoughts, too. I'll have to um, to give some more thought to that. And thanks for giving me something to think about with my question from earlier. I appreciate that. Um, let's see. I know, well, now I'm losing my spot in the chat. I think VV was up next. Yeah, VV, go ahead if you're ready. Uh, hey there. Um, I think this is just more of like a historical context um, in reading other uh, texts or uh, documents to fact check it, but I, I think um, in the Gospels, when uh, Judas had died, uh, he went out into the wilderness and hung himself. But in Acts, they're talking about how uh, he had fallen and uh, it said it, he split his head and his intestines spilled out and stuff like that. Um, so my wife looked into it and to like other um, commentaries and stuff like that, and it suggests that maybe when as he was hanging himself, he had fallen from the branch or something, and that's what caused his death and not the hanging itself. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I do. And I will also speak more about this next time. I just didn't get to it. But let me give you the short version of the answer, and then we'll cover it more next time. There's essentially two main differences between, say, the Gospel of Matthew and Acts 1. That would be how Judas bought the field, whether he bought it directly or whether he got it from the Sanhedrin, and second, how he died, was it by hanging himself or was it by disembowelment, essentially? Uh, but I think that we can reconcile those discrepancies very easily, to be honest. Um, you know, I don't think that somebody would really make a distinction between buying something directly and a complicated legal transaction where you still end up short you know, some money and you get the field. I'll explain more of that later. But essentially, they amount to the same thing. The guy ends up with the field. And then as far as the death, yeah, it's quite possible that there was a hanging. And, you know, he hanged himself, suicide. And then um, animals could have could have opened him up or maybe whenever he was cut down from the tree, his, his insights came out. All of that is entirely plausible. So, yes, we do have slightly different narrations of the event in, say, the Gospel of Matthew versus Acts, but we can reconcile those very plausibly, I find. Like, I don't think that that's a stretch at all. And, and like I said, I'll cover it with a little bit more detail next time. Thanks, Vivian. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, last question will go to Donald. Yeah, this, this may be more appropriate for next time because also it, it, my question has to do with Carmen's comment, which... Uh, really stood out to me because I still have so many questions about the concept of the kingdom of God. I'm saved, but as I like to put it, I'm a here and now kind of a guy. So hmm. I'm very, I'm very much involved in current events. But her final clause there <clears throat> was, um, "What you can be saved from separation with God, but it's not yet determined if you will have a position in the administration of God," and. I mean, I really like her comment. I'm sorry, I'm talking to somebody who can't answer back, but again, maybe next time. 
Um, so does that mean I'm waiting around to find out if I'll be working the mail room or the janitorial crew, yeah. or maybe I get like a C-suite or something. So anyway, I'll just leave that out there. Thank you, Carmen. And thank you, Robert. Yeah, I guess I have the same thoughts too about what that means. So I'll be curious if, if there's more to learn about that. Cause if you're not in the administration of it, but you're there, are you, I mean, what are you doing? Are you, how are you contributing? What, or are you contributing at all? What do you do? Steve Jobs gets in the elevator with you and asks you what you're doing there. Yeah, what is it that you say that you do around here? And if you have no answer, what in what are you doing? What are you doing in the kingdom if you have no contribution to the kingdom? Anyway, um, I share those. That's a good question because that's that's kind of what I'm thinking too. Um, but Robert, did you have any closing thoughts on that theme? Or if you maybe you'll say we'll get to more of that next week. Yeah, let, let's talk more about it next week. But I don't think that's exactly how we should think of the kingdom. The kingdom mm -hmm. will be this place where we will all be and we'll be under the rule of God and we get to enjoy. It's really not about holding offices. It's not about somebody, you know, being more important than another person. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, well, we'll talk more about it next time. But let me just say this very, very briefly. I know we are way over time today. Maybe this week, if you're thinking about this, and I don't mean Matt, I mean anybody listening, like think, should we expect the kingdom today? Not just salvation, but should we expect, you know, justice and, and helping the poor and healing the sick? Is that something that should start today? Or should we just worry about people's souls? You know, that is the key distinction that, that I'm trying to make between salvation and the kingdom. What are we supposed to do? Last thought, VV says in the chat, I will gladly mop the streets of gold. And I, I like that uh, concept and humility. So I hope to see you there, man. Janitorial work, there's uh, there's dignity in it. And I like that. Um, all right. Well, thank you for the thoughts tonight, everybody. Thanks for participating. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, appreciate it. And of course, uh, if you missed any part of the study or you'd like to listen back to the study, I do post it as an audio uh, podcast as well. You can find that on the Bible study page of the website linked on the homepage of my website. And uh, if you'd like to send Robert a message or send me a message, communicate about the Bible study or anything else, you can do that through the Bible study page as well. Uh, other than that, have a great week. We hope to see you back here next week, same time, Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Have a great week until then.